Chapter Eleven of Miss Pym's Camouflage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Miss Pym's Camouflage by Lady Dorothy Stanley. Chapter Eleven. The heat and dust were trying. The hood over the cart kept away the air, and Miss Pym was very uncomfortably placed between two cases which jolted about on the floor of the wagon. She determined to get out at the first stopping place. An auberge with a tonnelle, that is to say, a little arbor of vines, where four German officers sat at dinner, a very ample dinner, judging by their cheerful red faces as they parted the greenery and looked out. Miss Pym did not hesitate. She walked round to the entrance of the bower and examined the dishes. A pile of spotted trout had been devoured, washed down by the best of white wine. I must wait for the next course, she said to herself, but white bread and wine are not to be despised. So she reached forward and snatched up a bottle and a hunch of bread. The men looked round, momentarily puzzled, and then resumed their conversation. Soon the poor old innkeeper returned with a dish of omelette au rognon. The officers, delighted, forced him to drink a glass of his own wine, and then proceeded to portion out the omelette. Miss Pym watched her opportunity, seized one of the plates, which she carried off to a low wall, where she sat with the bread under one arm, the bottle of wine under the other, and the plate on her lap, because, of course, anything she was not touching became visible. Much revived by the food and wine, she determined to wait for some more comfortable vehicle to take her to Valenciennes. At last the Germans came out of the vine arbor, straightening their uniforms and resuming their military scowls. Profoundly bowing, two of them went off, followed by Miss Pym, who saw them start in a small two-seated motor-car, their luggage tied on at the back. No possibility of a lift, thought Miss Pym, and besides they were soon whirling off in a cloud of dust back the same weary way she had travelled that morning. The other officers were older and more important-looking. Perhaps they would have a car with four seats. Going into a shed, Miss Pym saw a fine Mercedes with six seats. No sooner had she climbed into the back than the officers strolled up, smoking, followed by the innkeeper lugging a hamper. Miss Pym could hear the bottles clinking together, the whole contents of the poor man's little cellar. Miss Pym could see his wife crying at the back door as the big basket was lifted on to the seat beside her and fastened by a rope to the back rail. The officers jumped in and soon to her relief she was speeding along to Valenciennes. The food, wine, and fresh air soon sent her to sleep, a deep refreshing sleep from which she was rudely awakened by a violent shaking. Good gracious, what is the matter? she cried, putting up her hand to save her hat. Angry voices and excited German officers crowded round the car, made it clear that she was discovered. Sleep and the jolting of the car at high speed had restored Miss Pym's visibility. Have we reached Valenciennes? she asked sleepily. There now, I told you she was an Englishwoman. She is a spy, that's certain, cried a young German with whitish hair and the complexion of a pink ivy geranium. Shoot her in the car. What, make a mess in my new car? Never, cried the captain laughing. 
we'll have the woman safely locked up and handed over to the colonel when he arrives this evening two of you fellows jump in and hold her one on each side in half an hour we shall be in valenciennes miss pym was not unduly alarmed but she blamed herself for carelessness to have allowed herself to succumb to sleep in such circumstances was culpable folly her handbag and her rucksack had been taken from her and she was held in a ferocious grip but confident of ultimate escape she was able to smile at the excited young officers don't be afraid i have no intention of escaping here you hurt my arms quite needlessly what does she say asked the white-haired youth his eyes bulging with excitement i said you need not be so frightened replied miss pym in german smiling you are an english spy confess cried the young man miss pym turned to the other officer who understood english and said when my belongings have been examined will they be returned to me you will not require them he replied sourly after the colonel has questioned you you will require nothing dear me how obliging your colonel must be do you think he would lend me a car and a chauffeur this car would do to take me to berlin to berlin lend you a car to take you to berlin spluttered the officer in amazement what for why were you attempting to visit our capital i wanted to interview the kaiser and hindenburg i wanted to-to look round what does she say heinrich what does the mad englishwoman say asked the pink youth eagerly oh nothing much she merely intends to interview the all-highest and von hindenburg yes and the crown prince interposed miss pym oh you english murmured the captain it really is impossible to understand such a people i suppose it is your climate you are not serious you think only of sport and enjoyment you grew tired of hunting foxes so you determined to annihilate germans for sport that explains your reason for assassinating the austrian crown prince it is all england's brutal egoism so you have never visited england though you speak excellent english remarked miss pym still smiling the captain eagerly assured her that he had lived with an english family for six months when i was twenty i went to perfect my knowledge of the language i stayed with a family called johnson near basingstoke a very nice family there was miss alice johnson oh she was beautiful and edward her brother a great cricketer i used to play we had matches the captain's face lit up at his recollection of the johnson family and they treated you well yes it was a happy time i liked the english then but i was young and impressionable besides i did not then realize the base calculating spirit which is dominant in england they could not endure to see german strength industry and prosperity so they attacked us a peace-loving people hoping to destroy us and gain the dominion of the world but why am i wasting my words on you miserable woman fated to die this day but you will allow that i am courageous said miss pym sweetly the german captain looked at her steadily then with some reluctance he admitted that the british did not lack courage but it will avail you nothing with our colonel indeed i am sorry that you are to be handed over to him our colonel can be terrible especially after he has had much to drink 
I don't believe in pity myself. I resist sentimental weakness. War demands frightfulness, continued the captain. It is necessary to have no scruples. But the colonel. Ah, captain, I think you are better than your talk. And I believe you are just a little bit sorry for me, said Miss Pym, laughing. The German captain looked uncomfortable. I am sorry, because Colonel von Schlange is ruthless and very cruel. You do not deny that you are a spy, and you ought, of course, to die. But I dislike torturing women. If the colonel shoots you before supper, that will be all right. But after supper he would amuse himself first by torturing you, and I shall have to be present. No, I cannot at the bottom of my heart approve of torture. Miss Pym felt a shiver play over her. Captain, tell me your name. I am willing to bet you a pound of good chocolate that your ferocious colonel neither tortures nor shoots me. My name is Captain Vertheim, and pray, what is your name? Miss Pym paused a second, then said, Jane Barton, Miss Jane Barton. Miss Barton, you are English, therefore you are brave and foolish, and make a sport of death and bet me a pound of chocolate. It is dreadful. Dreadful, Captain Vertime, because if you win, I shall, you think, be unable to pay. But in my rucksack there is some excellent chocolate. That is what troubles me, the loss of my chocolate and bovril and other comforts. All this time the pink lieutenant had fiercely gripped her arm, but the captain was not even holding her. However, now that they were entering Valenciennes, he put his hand on her arm. Good-bye, Fraulein. It is a pity you came here. You have accomplished nothing, and you are fated to die. Well, Captain, I have to thank you for making my little journey quite pleasant. I hope when you are a prisoner of the British, you will change your mind about us. You will see that we never ill-treat our prisoners as you do. Miss Pym was taken to the old musee on the Place now the army headquarters, and locked up in a fine room of the old palace. She was troubled at the loss of her maps and various small belongings she could not replace. The great windows looked out on the long place, which, in spite of German law, order, and punishment, retained its French aspect. German soldiers stalked about, German aeroplanes flew overhead, but Valenciennes retained its French character. I wonder what they think they will do to me, thought Miss Pym. It was risky remaining visible, but she wished to interview this deadly colonel before disappearing. In olden times, I suppose, they would have been preparing the stake for me down there. Faggots heaped up round a stout post to which Perdita Pym would have been chained. From all accounts, these Germans are just as savage and inhuman today. How disappointed they will be to lose their victim. Her reflections were interrupted by the violent throwing open of folding doors. Four German soldiers surrounded her, and in harsh gutturals ordered her to follow the pink-faced young officer, goose-stepping in front. This absurd little procession marched along a corridor and they entered a room of noble proportions, furnished with stately old French furniture, supplemented by common modern stuff. At a large table, laden with papers neatly docketed, sat a German officer, Colonel von Schlange. 
He never once looked up at Miss Pym, but continued writing quickly, sheet after sheet. The pink officer stood very erect and immovable. The four soldiers might have been carved in wood. Miss Pym was curious to see the face of this formidable colonel, but she could only make out a round bald patch on the top of a small head. If this goes on much longer, thought Miss Pym, I shall laugh or shout. It's all pose. The wretch thinks he is terrifying me. After a long wait, she said to the lieutenant, in a peremptory voice, Fetch me a chair. The young man looked at her, startled, and then at the colonel, who put down his pen and raised his head, and Miss Pym looked into the most sinister, the most truly evil countenance she had ever seen. It was worse than a face dreamed of in a dreadful nightmare. The head was small and flat, the eyes close together and black. A large brush-like moustache spread out under a thin nose with dilated nostrils. The pallid face was fretted with minute wrinkles, as though it had been steeped in hot water. But it was the degradation of a human countenance that most struck Miss Pym. This creature was capable of anything evil and unnatural. The word monster best described him. Now I understand the German conduct in Belgium and France, she thought. Like a reptile, the colonel raised his head, and his black eyes met the honest eyes of the Englishwoman. Then they shifted, and in a rapid, harsh tone he gave orders. Miss Pym was pushed towards the table where he sat, and tumbled on to a chair. The soldiers tramped out, and Colonel von Schlange and Miss Pym faced each other. Before a word was spoken, the man opened a drawer and took out two large revolvers which he placed carefully before him. Then he opened another drawer and produced her rucksack and handbag, and carefully opening the latter, he brought out the maps. Folding his hairy yellow hands on them, he leant forward with a curiously cruel look of enjoyment, and in perfect English he said slowly, These are your possessions? Miss Pym was so fascinated by this extraordinary man that she failed to answer. She felt herself in the first row of the stalls, looking on at a melodrama. You do not answer. You are wise. I understand you are a self-confessed spy. We have a short way with spies, Miss Jane Barton. But before your career is put an end to, I have to know something about those who sent you. Who gave you these exceedingly interesting maps? You will give me some information about the disposition of the British troops. Ha ha, this is what you call the biter bit. Now proceed, make a full confession, without delay. If not, if not, repeated Miss Pym, keeping her eyes steadily fixed on the colonel's shifty eyes, you will be dealt with. Yes, I know. You hope to have me shot, said Miss Pym calmly. But that you intend doing, whether I speak or not. Certainly you will be shot in any case. But if you do not speak, painful methods will be employed. You mean torture? Oh, Miss Barton, why use that expression? We shall take the necessary means to make you talk. You seem cool and self-possessed. That will be broken down by a certain potion 
calculated to unnerve you. It would be impossible to describe the evil joy that lit up the countenance of the fiend as he spoke, but the satanic delight soon gave way to savage anger. Miss Pym faced him without fear, and the loathing and contempt she felt she showed. She realized that she had a low type of coward before her. Colonel von Schlange, said Miss Pym, even for a German you are a bad type. I defy you. I shall confess nothing. I shall not talk, as you call it, nor will I drink your nerve-breaking potion. Toying nervously with a revolver, von Schlange leant forward and poured forth a stream of the vilest remarks, unclean, foul, gross words, many of them unintelligible to the English lady who sat there. He hissed out obscene threats, which seemed to stain him. His face grew blotchy and swelled like the freckled belly of a toad. Gasping for breath, he leant back. Miss Pym eyed him with ineffable contempt. You unclean little reptile, was all she vouchsafed. Whereupon the colonel reared, exactly like a cobra, and fired his revolver. Miss Pym had expected this from the moment he had taken it up. She dipped her head down to her lap, and the bullet passed over and struck a mirror. The report and crash of glass brought three officers running in from the adjoining room, Captain Vertime, the pink-faced lieutenant, and another. This woman tried to shoot me, shouted von Schlange, forgetting that he still held the smoking revolver. Have her taken into the courtyard below, and have her flogged in the presence of as many soldiers as can be got into the yard. She will be shot at dawn. Till then she will undergo various other penalties. Call in the men. Miss Pym now decided that it was time to disappear. She could hear the tramp of the men approaching. A moment of mental anguish well-nigh overcame her, fearing lest she might fail. But the wave of horror passed. She pressed her head back, and was, to all appearance, no longer there. Quietly she slipped out of the chair and took refuge in a small space between a writing bureau and a lacquer cabinet. She was careful to touch neither the wall nor the furniture, so that the room might retain its usual appearance. Wide-eyed and with quickened pulse, she noted the stupid bewilderment on all the faces. On Captain Vertime's she thought she detected relief. The colonel was quite hysterical. He ran round and round the room, brandishing the revolver, shouting, Seize her, shoot her, kill her, flog her. And only when he perceived a glint of amusement on the faces of the soldiers at the door did he recover some appearance of self-control. A dangerous female spy has escaped. She must be concealed in the building. Let it be searched. Valenciennes must be searched. A proclamation must immediately be printed and criers must go through the streets, announcing that any one harbouring the Englishwoman will be burnt alive. There is no security unless we are pitiless. An example must be made. That woman shall be. Then remembering that a cool attitude befitted his rank, he passed a trembling, hairy hand over his face. Come, gentlemen, which of you saw the woman slip out? My colonel, I did not see the woman escape, said Captain Vertime. Neither did I, said each of the other officers. 
this is very discreditable said colonel von schlanga and if the woman is not found in twenty-four hours it will go hard with you the young officers saluted and withdrew leaving von schlanga alone miss pym kept her eyes on the table her one thought was to get possession of her two precious bags and the maps if she left without them she could hardly hope to recover them later germans are nothing if not methodical in a few minutes the colonel would put the things safely away under lock and key and they would be lost to her von schlange walked to a mirror where he attentively examined himself and miss pym tiptoed towards the table some slight sound made the colonel turn quickly but nothing moved he sighed and took out a pocket-comb which he tenderly applied to his moustache again miss pym advanced scarcely breathing she gently lifted both the bags and then took up the folded maps seeing the sheets the colonel had been writing in a neat pile by the inkstand and a packet of documents she gathered them up opened her handbag and slipped them in this time von schlange was certain he had heard a movement in the room he looked round rather wildly then darted to the table miss pym snatched up the other revolver and backed to the door the colonel was clearly overcome with rage and apprehension miss pym dared not wait a moment longer lest she should find the officers hurrying in or the colonel bolting out she opened the door and fled racing along the corridor down the staircase and out into a damp dreary courtyard where doubtless her execution was to have taken place the great entrance had been closed to prevent her escape perdita was beginning to feel herself trapped she ran through an arched doorway down a dark passage and entered a guard-room soldiers were laughing boisterously one young fellow was imitating colonel von schlange waving his arms and shouting valenciennes must be searched an example must be made etc ach franz that is enough if it got to the ears of the colonel that we made fun of him he would gladly shoot us cease fooling man well said franz smiling i am off for beer i know a nice little maiden who will have to supply me with box one two three and she will have kisses one two and three miss pym determined to follow franz and get out of this dangerous building as soon as possible two sentries at a back door challenged the young german with a grin and miss pym passed out into the place twilight was deepening into night but there were great flares of light at the wine and beer shops german soldiers strolled about swaggering and scowling the smaller fry imitating their officers a beautiful band was playing outside a brasserie miss pym stopped to listen how could germans hear such music and be such terrible brutes she looked in at the hall and noted the youthfulness of the majority big square heavy boys mostly fair-haired it looked as though they had been bred to order as though a slow-witted animal type had been in demand and the nation obediently had turned them out by the hundred thousand men who must needs march together or run away 
men with the characteristics of droves of cattle men who could be trusted neither to think nor to ask questions men who would fight murder sack loot or violate as occasion arose and dead would produce glycerine and engine grease in the corpse fat factory germany had organized well and produced the type she required for her particular purpose End of chapter eleven